0: Hello, this is Daryl Kessel with today's Kessel Report. Today is Friday, April 27, 2018, and on today's report I will again be discussing Syria and the United States' involvement there. The further we get from the alleged poison gas attack by the forces of Syrian President Bandar al-Assad upon his own civilian population, the less sense it makes. Where we are expected to believe that Assad used a poison gas weapon banned by international agreement sure to draw an immediate U.S. response against a civilian population which was no threat to him and in an area in which he was apparently just hours away from complete victory. In addition, the attack was launched immediately after President Trump announced that the United States would soon be leaving Syria. The claim is therefore not believable. I watched the speech of UN Ambassador Nikki Haley to the Security Council of the United Nations and her statements seemed pretty implausible. She made many accusations, but offered zero evidence. Her statement was a long diatribe, blaming Russia for the alleged attack because Russia has refused UN inspections and sanctions on the side in the past, according to Ms. Haley. She again offered no evidence whatsoever that anything she said was true. We are expected to believe and accept the statement, quote, the United States believes or the United States intelligence agencies has revealed, end quote, as evidence. But that just doesn't cut it anymore. Unfortunately, United States intelligence agencies have lost the right to be believed at face value. Real evidence is now required. France and the United Kingdom joined in the American attack and also defended the attack alongside Ambassador Haley at the Security Council. However, former U.K. Ambassador to Syria, Peter Ford, offered a different view. Mr. Ford did not share his government's and the media's version of the attack. He said that he did not believe the poison gas attack by Assad forces actually happened and the whole thing was a false flag attack. Bandar al-Assad is a bad dictator and the United States really doesn't like bad dictators or does it? Moinar Gaddafi of Libya was a bad dictator Saddam Hussein of Iraq was a bad dictator so are Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un according to Freedom House's rating system there were 49 nations in the world as of 2015 which was the last year measured that were characterized as dictatorships in the United States government. Provides military assistance to 36 of them, 73% of the world's dictators are therefore on the role of US taxpayers. Furthermore, we're now in the 17th year of the war on terror declared unilaterally by President George W. Bush in 2001. That war seems to be spreading instead of ending, so the question becomes, where in the world is the US military? According to a recent article by a US News and World Report entitled Where in the world is the US military? Everywhere. The US military is literally everywhere. American counterintelligence forces are active in 76 or 40% of the world's countries there are just forces these are just forces actively deployed fighting actual wars in 40 percent of the world u.s forces are located or based in most of the rest of the world operation enduring freedom which started in afghanistan in october of 2001 has now rapidly spread around the entire world right now africa more than anywhere else is the most active region in the war on terror and therefore Getting the most U.S. attention, military personnel, as well as massive amounts of technology, hardware, training, and expertise are pouring into local African militaries and police forces, U.S. military bases, camps, compounds, port facilities, and cooperative security locations dot the African continent. U.S. special forces are being deployed to track insurgents across Africa, drone strikes. To kill targets are increasing in frequency across the African region. The expansion of the commitment to Africa was started with the creation of AFRICOM, or the African Command. Some of the military voices that one might presume reach the very top of the chain say that all of this military investment was necessary. It was a precursor to economic development in the region. The Department of Defense's manual on AFRICOM says that AFRICOM will concentrate on war prevention rather than war fighting, but it sure looks like war fighting so far. U.S. commitments in the African region have been shifted from diplomacy to military action. This change in tactic is part of a U.S. strategy that crosses the globe with counterterrorism efforts and so the militarization of Africa is just part of a worldwide process that's all bad news that's the bad news folks but the good news is that war is very good for business if one could know in advance where and when the united states the united kingdom and or france were going to war then one could make a lot of money in the markets that's exactly the situation with philip may husband Uh, Theresa May, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Mr. May is a senior executive of Capital Group, which is a major stockholder of both Lockheed Martin and British Aerospace. The insider information available to Mr. May from his wife constitutes an obvious conflict of interest for the husband of the Prime Minister. It seems that Mr. May's firm made a great deal of money from the bombing of Syria and that means he did as well. Mr. May and a handful of others in all three countries had advanced knowledge of when the missiles would fly and that there would be no direct conflict with Russia. Who knows what other cronies in the leadership of the three countries also had advanced warning. Mr. Macron of France, like Donald Trump, was a businessman and not a politician. Before, he was Prime Minister, so perhaps those experienced in business will be the new trend in world leadership. Mr. Macron recently entertained the CEO of Goldman Sachs Group, the most powerful force in finance worldwide at Versailles. Apparently, the talk of a U.S. and Russia confrontation was hit at all with an agreement that Russian forces and US and Russian assets would not be targeted and in return. Russia would not respond. There seems to have been no clear objective to the attacks, which mostly just made the rubble dance. No evidence of chemical weapons has been found, as yet no clouds of poison gas were released by the attacks. Over 100 missiles were directed against only three targets, which, according to global research, were agreed upon in advance by the Russians. This careful negotiation with Russia was obviously known in advance by the financial insiders, and they therefore they also knew the outcome in advance. On Monday morning, after the attack, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, Raytheon, and British Aerospace stocks skyrocketed when the markets opened. Raytheon produces the Tomahawk cruise missile, which were used in the attack. Insider trading, such as I have just described here, is illegal. An investigation should have been conducted to see if it really happened. The sad state of affairs, however, is that no investigation of these people is possible, given their political ties. Five days after the attack on Syria, the U.S. Air Force awarded Lockheed Martin an almost $1 billion contract to start the design of a new hypersonic cruise missile. Lockheed is to design and produce the new missile as part of a Pentagon push for America's hypersonic arsenal to be built over several decades. Total value of the deal for Lockheed was reportedly as high as $928 million over the course of the unspecified timeline. These contracts rarely come off as scheduled, however, and the delay always raised the cost two or three times. War is indeed good for business. The U.S. 17-year war on terror around the globe and the U.S. 17-year war in Afghanistan. No end in sight. No understanding. Ah, victory must be really good for business. I wonder if they are fools, madmen, or just good businessmen. What, then, is the nature of war in the 21st century? Debt, destruction, and most of all, money. At least that's the way I see it. Until next time, folks, this is Daryl Castle. Thanks for listening.